by the wreck of my ship I knew he must have been about 7th Connection Podcast Network. Here we are again for another episode of The Wrestler That Was. I'm Aaron, and uh, here we go. First of all, thanks to all the listeners, thanks to all the comments, all the downloads. If you like what you hear here, uh, please subscribe to the network, leave us a review, uh, share, you know, like if you like it, share, that'd be the best. And once again, thanks for continually reaching out. Um, Makes it all worth it. So today, we are dealing with with Trish Stratus. Now, for the longest time, I thought Trish Stratus was trash. And I'm going to make no apologies about struggling to say Trish Stratus uh, for <laughs> as long as this podcast goes on. Look, when we approached the first uh, GWB Top 100 in 2017, I-, I-, I was like adamant that Trish didn't belong on the list. I argued that she exposed the business and despite improving a ton, was never a great or even a good wrestler. And the question I kept coming back with her on was, um, where are the great matches? And what a snob I was. And as I was building my list this year for the Place to Be Nation um, stretch project, the greatest 100 wrestlers in WWF, WWE history, I think it's safe to say she is very, very safely on. In fact, I don't think I can make my list without her. So what changed? I mean, yeah, she came back, had a couple of matches, but those were, they didn't exactly light the world on fire. They they were good. I think I changed. Because in the end, it didn't matter if Trish didn't deliver a cadre of four-star matches. Instead, a lot like guys like Roddy Piper and Paul Orndorff, she delivered countless memorable moments. Her influence is almost certainly undervalued as well. And I'll be truthful, I'm going into this a little bit blind. As you know, in the wrestler that was, we are ranking wrestlers in 10 categories. Score between 1 and 10, that gives us a nice round score out of 100. And look, I'm going in blind. I'm excited to see if uh, Trish can move up my list any further. So let's break it down. The first category is narrative. Did she tell a cohesive story during her, uh, during her complete run? In uh, the WWE. I guess she was always in WWE. Eh? It was never. No, no. It was WWF for her at first. So yeah. In the WWF slash WWE. So here we go. She joins the promotion in 2000. Managing a literal representation of who and what the company viewed her as. And I don't mean that to be a slight. Look, Test and Albert on their own. Trash. Right? Except for that love her or leave her match. And I don't think Albert ever did anything good. Only through the addition of Trish, though, could they become tits and ass, respectively? In fairness, I think that Albert was probably more suited for the tits role, uh, where Test was more suited for the the get-the-fuck-off-my-TV role. Trish was instrumental, though, in the success of TNA. She stood, she looked annoyed, 
she walked with her hands on her hips. I can only imagine how ridiculous her walk was before Al Snow or someone else backstage was like, hey, 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 do, uh, Trish, come here, come here. Put your hands on your hips. Yeah. See, that's how sexy people walk, damn it. Hands on the hips, swaying side to side. That's how you sell sex. That's how you sell sexy. This is no doubt how Al Snow got the tough enough job. Well, shit, pal, he taught Trish how to walk. Maybe he can teach Maven how to be completely hairless. Then Trish gets entangled with a porn star before getting entangled with Lita. Uh, Little did she know that uh, Lita and her would be uh, linked at the hip for almost the remainder of Trish's WWF career. And then for whatever reason, she starts banging Vince McMahon. I think you're already seeing the problem. I'm I'm saying a lot of, for whatever reason, this happened. So why is she banging Vince? Well, the only reason I could come up with to explain this is obviously an abuse of power. Vince had demanded a divorce from Linda and started sleeping with Trish while his soon-to-be ex-wife was in a comatose state. (laughs) Who says Vince doesn't understand love or human emotion? Stephanie, clearly not concerned for her father's happiness, took issue with this and attempted to beat up Trish. What a brat, right? Like, just let your dad be happy. Your mom's in a coma. It's not like she's putting out. Sadly, we as a society have yet to answer the difficult question of when do you start banging someone else when your spouse is a vegetable? William Regal would get involved between the women with Vince declaring that William would know exactly what to do when the situation was right. And look, there were many ups and downs, uh, but Trish would end up getting cut by Regal before Stephanie poured slop all over her body. And look, imagine, okay, imagine how difficult that slop was to find. Because this is the one time in company history that there's not a hog farmer currently on the roster. Then Vince made her strip and bark like a dog. Yep. So complete and total humiliation uh, led to Trish getting cheered. I guess humiliating your employees has that, you know, effect on the crowd. Unless, of course, you're one of these fucking idiots who thinks Vince is a hero for even giving her the TV time to take her clothes off and act like a dog. Like, look, look at all, oh my God, look at all that opportunity he gave her. Look at all that opportunity. Look at all that entertainment we've been provided. It ain't ballet. Uh, Trish began to team with Lita now and even dated Jeff Hardy. I I should point out that we're like a year and a half into a run and she's presumably banged tits, ass, a porn star, an old man, and now an AIDS-riddled Jeff Hardy. Quite the uh, torrent of uh, action for Trish. And then she she wins the WWF women's title out of nowhere, gets involved with a few with Jazz. Obviously, they're trying to see who was the most womanly of the two. She also joined the hardcore division, unfortunately not in the way that anybody wanted. And Trish and Molly Hollywood had a series of training sessions disguised as matches. But really, from 2000 to 2002, every women's feud on TV was, you have the belt and I have a match against you. Then repeat, reverse, so on and so forth. But then finally, an actual storyline takes place. Her and Victoria apparently were fitness models together in the past. Weird, because I was under the impression that Victoria was an employee of Charles Wright. Whatever. Victoria would uh, attack her. So would Victoria's boyfriend, Stephen Richards. Trish would once again turn to Jeff Hardy for moral support. And by moral support, I mean him massaging her until they both hated one another. Typical relationship. At WrestleMania 19, Trish regained the WWE Women's Championship, beating Victoria and Jazz in a three-way match. Then she lost to Jazz. Then she lost to Eric Bischoff. And as a result of the stipulation, had to spend the night with him. 
then Linda McMahon waived that stipulation and then presumably took Easy E to Browntown herself. Trish would befriend and then be betrayed by Gail Kim. If I were Jerry Lawler in the 2000 Royal Rumble, I'd make a Pearl Harbor joke. But frankly, I'm Canadian and don't really know what Pearl Harbor is. Lita and her, meaning Trish, uh, would start hanging. Uh, but unfortunately, it wasn't the old hanging and banging of Hulk Hogan and Brutus Beefcake. No, no, they were just friends and occasionally tag team partners. And Trish would find someone who was interested in her as more than just a uh, coma side piece in Chris Jericho. The two would have a blossoming romance until she realized Chris Jericho was the stupidest motherfucker on planet Earth and couldn't tell if there was a camera in the room when Jericho bet Christian one Canadian dollar that he could bed Trish. She and Lita, Trish and Lita, pronouns, pal, Trish and Lita would challenge their would-be suitors to teach them, I don't know, a lesson about how they treated women. And the only lesson uh, taught was by Christian and Chris Jericho is how much of a beating both Trish and Lita could take at the hands of two grown men. Along the way, though, something happened. Trish developed real feelings for Jericho and Jericho developed real feelings for Trish. Because deep down, we knew that despite what, Trish, what Jericho had done, Trish liked him. Jericho was truly changing his ways and, you know... He, even rejecting his would-be wingman Christian. Now, Christian and Jericho would have a match at WrestleMania 20, which no doubt was leading to the reconciliation of Trish and Chris and would have been happy. But, you know, it's the WWE, so we can never have anything nice happen. Trish turns on Jericho and starts banging Christian. I mean, she chose Christian over Chris Jericho, which is the first time in the history of wrestling that anyone or anything has chosen Christian over Chris Jericho. Even Edge... In 1998, was like, sorry, we couldn't get Lionheart to be my brother. Come on in, Jay. And then Phil Riso jumped in and was like, oh, you know what, Adam, I understand. Imagine having this douchebag as your son. Anyway, Trish became even more attractive being a heel. And I guess she's now becoming some sort of a bully. Uh, it's just, it, it's manifesting itself as her just being a massive bitch to everyone in the division. But whatever, it worked. Stratus would regain the women's title and be forced to defend against Christy Hemi at WrestleMania 21. Whatever. But then she found out that Hemi was being, by her, being trained by her old friend and former Christian lover, Lita. And it was on. Again, between Trish and Lita, because apparently the WWE women can't maintain a friendship. Lita would miscarry a child. Trish decided to mock her and interrupt her wedding with Demon Seed Kane. Truthfully, I'm unsure if it was Cain or his progeny who was the demon seed because the phrase demon seed is spoken way too often on TV at this point. Cain would chase heel Trish around and Cain <laughs> is the face. Imagine, Tr he, Trish isn't the heel. The demon seed is the heel. And Trish, Trish, you know, because she's getting chased around, would eventually end up in the arms of the world's largest love machine, Viscera. From Chris Jericho to Viscera. In under a year. Awful. See, that's what being around Christian does, though. It just eats. It just eats away at your self-esteem until you're banging a viscera. She remained, maintained women's champion, Trish, for the bulk of 2005 until helping Ashley Mazzaro, of all people. She'd fight Vince's Devils, Candice Michelle, Tori Wilson, Victoria. Three women who would obviously be $3 million richer each by the end of their career. During this time, though, a woman appeared calling herself Trish's biggest fan. 
Before that could ripen, though, Trish was kidnapped by Eminem. And Trish repaid the kidnapping at Survivor Series 2005 by pinning Melina's shoulders to the mat. Trish would find that her fan, though, Mickey James, wanted to be more than just a fan, as James kissed her under a mistletoe, forcing Trish to run away. I'm sure a mature conversation about sexual orientation could have been had here, but that was clearly drowned out by Jerry Lawler's screaming and ejaculation. They would continue to be sometime partners, sometime victims of unrequited love, until Trish finally ended the relationship. Now, this didn't sit well with Mickey James, who went on to beat Trish down and challenge her to a match at WrestleMania 22 for the WWE Women's Championship. Mickey would gain much on that night in Chicago. First, the love of the fans, then the championship, on top of a full-on grab of Trish and a lick of the hand, despite what the Nazi censors in Connecticut would have you believe. Trish would get injured, come back and get another rematch with James because, you know, whatever. And then entered a relationship with Carlito. I guess she thought he was cool. In 2006, as 2006 trudged on, Trish would win a final match on Raw, defeating Mickie James. Then, at Unforgiven, she would defeat Lita to win her final WWE Women's Championship and retire as champion. Despite that retirement, Trish would never be far from the WWE Universe. She would team with John Cena to beat up Santino Morella uh, and Beth Phoenix on an episode of Raw. She would also be pulled from the rafters to team with Snooki at WrestleMania 28. Finally, when the company actually started taking women's wrestling seriously, she was the first number 30 in a women's Royal Rumble. And she'd almost win. And lo and behold, she would come face to face with her old lover, Mickey James. Mickey and Trish brought the audience to their feet that night in Philadelphia. She'd once again team with Lita to face Mickey and Alexa Bliss at Evolution. And finally, so far anyway, challenged Charlotte Flair in her hometown of Toronto, where she was thoroughly beaten by Flair in a very good match. So what I'm left with here is she was a mainstay of WWE programming for almost her entire run. And they thought enough about her to, to bring her back without humiliating her, which is huge, right? That being said, I don't see a lot of cohesion. Like, why would she go out with Christian when Christian made the exact same bet with Jericho? Only he was going to bed Lita instead. Why, why do that? Her face and heel turns always felt like they just happened, you know, because. We need to change things up, maybe. Just change it. Nothing was really organic save for her initial face turn after being humiliated by Vince. And I'm going to say this isn't really Trish's fault because for the years that she's on top, I don't think they care about the women's division. It was who's the champion, who's the next challenger. And whoever that was programmed TV with little to no reason besides wrestler A attacking wrestler B. This is the real problem with the whole company post-2000. It's it's true in the Intercontinental and U.S. divisions, too. You never see feuds or storylines. It's just, okay, who's challenging this month? But it's especially glaring in the women's division. Now, within her feuds, she acts in a consistent way, and this saves her from completely tanking this category. But as a collective narrative, so far, this is the weakest I've seen in the project. So let's go three out of ten and leave it for that. And even as I was writing this paragraph, I'm thinking, like, this is just a bunch of stuff that she did rather than a living, breathing character and someone who experiences things as part of a narrative. How does she rank, though, as a face? And I think, uh, I actually think this is surprisingly good, all things considered. 
Especially when the initial uh, idea for a character was just a stone-cold bitch, cold woman, whatever, you know? Uh, Trish was actually a really good plucky babyface. And I'm sure part of this is due to her consistently being up against competitors, especially early in her career, with loads more experience than her. I'd wager that if the situation was similar today, Trish would not garner much sympathy from the fans. Instead, they'd be chanting, you can't wrestle at her, while grapplers like Jazz and Victoria were like online and be like, why aren't they using Victoria? Why aren't they using Jazz? Man, why didn't they use Jazz more? She was great. Uh, Trish was great, though, at fighting from underneath, though. Her offense for a babyface, at least in its most evolved form, as we'll talk about, is really superb. Her spots were designed to get a pop out of the audience, and they almost always worked. Plus, uh, when she got the shit kicked out of her or was sexually humiliated, uh, you know, she was really good at selling uh, the sympathy of that, right? She even pulled off making us believe that she wanted to bang Triple H in that backstage segment. She should be called Trish Brando for that feat of artistry. She's really good at being a babyface in her first run. And I think every time she comes back now as like the elder stateswoman, she's able to convey the way that she paved the road for the current crop of, uh, of women without ever veering into, um, into being an entitled prick. It's a really great contrast with like, I remember Kevin Nash being like, uh, hey, CM Punk, say thank you, Mr. Nash. Look, it's a tougher role uh, than I would have imagined here uh, for Trish. Like, especially the, the elder stateswoman role. But I think she really pulls it off with a plum. Uh, I'm going to go five for face. I don't think she's the best. I don't think she's the worst. I just think she's good. Like, she's just good. As a heel, though, this is where she excels. After the whole Chris Jericho debacle, Trish basically turns into a devil. And she knocks it out of the park in the role. What I love about this turn and the subsequent character that follows is that this turn contrary to every other turn she does. And you know what? I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back and say that because this turn was so good, I'm going to up her narrative uh, to four instead of three. Maybe I made a bit of a mistake there. But I love the way that this turn and subsequent character comes from a place of pain and hurt. She had her heart broken. by tri- uh, <laughs> Everyone had their heart. <laughs> See, that's how much she's on my fucking mind, man. He's broken everyone's hearts. No. She had her heart broken by Chris Jericho. And as a consequence, was turned from sweet Trish into evil Trish. But everything about her changed. Except her dumbass music. We'll get to that later. But gone is this pointing and the smiling. In its place is bowing and thinking she's better than everyone else. And guess what? She was better than everyone else at this point. Even the way she looked into the camera was different. It was with a a disdain, right? Uh, Or a disgust. She changed. And that's what made her an, uh, such an effective heel. It took crazed stalker Mickey James to bring her back face for Christ's sake. And now, she was going to go out of her way to make the lives of those around her as miserable as Chris Jericho had made hers. When her former friend Lita was forced to marry a demon seed after being imprinted by said demon seed, well, Trish was there at the wedding, not only to remind Lita of her recent miscarriage, but also to emphasize that Lita was a whore. Kane doesn't even get upset when she says this because he knows what's up. And when heel Trish is showing up in white lingerie, she can do no wrong. She bullies the new people who come into the company. Again, this was probably done to her earlier in her career by older and far less impressive workers. With those poor diva search girls, like with them, 
it was like Trish was JBL, you know, except Trish was talented, right? And only pretending to be a prick for the television. The less said about her role as the manager of Tess and Albert, the better. Like, and it's not like she was bad, right? It's more like she was nothing. And I think in many ways that's worse than being bad. But then again, as I say this, I'm reminded of Ted DiBiase's bed shitting in the mid-1990s. So, you know, take that for what you will. Look, at her peak, I think Trish is a, um, a very good heel. I'll go 7 out of 10. And I think that's rare in the Divas division to have such a well-defined character during this era. But Trish gave us more substance than any other quote-unquote heel who was atop the division. So let's take a look at her characters and rank them from worst to best, shall we? Worst to best indeed. So I think her worst character, six out of six. Uh, so let's start with, um, I think her worst character is Jezebel Trish, who was banging the devil himself, Mr. McMahon. I mean, like, I guess if you fail at banging the son-in-law, you move your way up to the old man. I don't know what she was getting out of the relationship besides getting genetic jackhammered. But truth be told, I don't care to find out, right? When your whole character is that you're a fuck toy who gets treated like a dog, you end up at the bottom of a list like this for me. And also, uh, uh, you know, Jim Ross, if you're listening, I know uh, clearly you're listening. Um, why do you always, what's, why is Jezebel the go-to for these women, right? Why not She-Devil or, or Whore of Babylon? Just, you know, mix it up a bit. Number five, uh, TNA manager Trish. Like I said, it's nothing. She looks good in a cowboy hat, walks like she just came out of a pre-sealed package. Yes, the hips sway, but for the love of God, someone tell her what to do with her arms. Like how, like, I don't understand how at this age, when Trish debuted, she hadn't learned how to walk like a human. Like she walked like she was taking her cues from the graphics of No Mercy in the Nintendo 64. Also, Tess and Albert were such a shit team, they made Trish Stratus boring. Imagine that. Number four plucky babyface Trish that ran the division between 2002-2004, always working from underneath, um, always working to improve. And I think what was cool about this character is she earned the fans' respect. Uh, and she became more than just eye candy, which was cool. Uh, number three, elder stateswoman Trish uh, in each of her comebacks. And, you know, you'd think, looking at her, that she wouldn't really fit in with the new crop of women. But every time she comes back, it's, it's seriously like a glove. Now she has an air of legitimacy. And I love that she just seamlessly started carrying herself like a legend. And she deserves that moniker at this point. Number two, ace of the women's division from late 2005 until her retirement in 2006. She's the best. She knew it. She carried herself like a superstar, but was past the point of being an obnoxious villain. I mean, they probably could have milked the heel turn for longer, but you're only going to boo someone like Trish for so long. She knew she was the standard bearer and did a fantastic job presenting it to the audience. And I think her best character is, without a doubt, remember, character, heel Trish. It's like, it's like she traveled through time and then watched the whole Amber Heard trial and thought, man, what an icon. She killed it in the role and her natural ease on the microphone made it easy to detest her while all the while still being like, oh my God, she's so attractive. Fuck, I love Trish Heel. Heel Trish, man. Woo. All right. So as a heel, um, you know, just her characters, I think there's a lot of interesting variants there. But what about her work, right? What about her in-ring work? Not her matches, her in-ring work. So what do you do with someone like Trish? 
Because she really is the tale of two extremely well-endowed cities. From 2000 to mid-2002, her work leaves quite a bit to be desired. She has the classic female performer problem of looking like everything it's half it's done at half speed. And to me, this is always the worst part of the women's division because it's business exposing. And it makes you long for the sweet embrace of Leilani Kai and pre-pimp Mula. But here's the thing with Trish. She got way better. Like way better. In fact, when I was watching her matches back for this project, and I looked, I... I really looked to criticize her and see if she'd being carried by Mickey James or Lita or even former prostitute Victoria, but she wasn't. Now, more often than not, Trish was leading the matches. And this project has really turned me around on, on the work portion of her resume. Trish was just good. And I don't think, I don't think we can ignore the first few years though, but again, is it her fault? So she was clearly not ready to be pushed into the spotlight. But that's on the company. You know, quite frankly, they're lucky that Trish improved because thrusting people on TV early due to their looks is a hallmark of the company for like, you know, forever, right? At least. And I don't get it because you're already a form of entertainment that people look down upon because it's fake. And wrestling, I think, has been forever unfairly maligned for that. Oh, it's fake, it's fake. People will accept that Game of Thrones is fake or that Sopranos is fake, but it's still a show that can be entertained by, but it's still fake. But for some reason, there's this mental block with wrestling. It's dumb. It drives me insane, right? But it exists. So why would you put people out there who are not ready and only shine a spotlight on the fact that it is fake? So when someone is out there missing punches and kicks when they can't run the ropes properly like like people don't naturally bounce off ropes but the audience buys it because the people who are best at it make it look like a natural reaction to being hurled into ropes you bounce right back but as soon as you can't do that properly and 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 when you do it slowly well then we see the mechanics right and once those mechanics are seen we can transpose those mechanics into everyone else and now the whole enterprise looks weaker that's the problem with pushing people who aren't ready. It's one of the many, I'm sure. The other thing that was always baffling during Trish's early years was that with her, without her, the women's division was going to be exactly what it, the same as it was. It's one match per show, five to eight minutes. And they had competent performers who could have done that, you know? Trish, you know, probably could have been used better as an on-screen character, manager, while she learned the subtleties that she would eventually go on to master. All that to say... For a long time, her offense looked really bad. I mean, elbows missed by miles. The matrix moved, was super slow, convoluted. The handstand her and Karana in the corner required way too many things to go right. It's like that 619 kick from Rey Mysterio. Like, like why does <laughs> why is this the only time anybody falls into the ropes that way? Right? Um, it's kind of the same thing for this. Why is why are they just waiting for her to do this matrix thing, right? It didn't make sense in the context of a real fight. But then then those elbows start coming in a bit more snug. The matrix duck gets quicker and smoother. And even that handstand and rana happens in a way that it's quick, so it makes sense. I would say the five to eight minute matches actually become a handicap for Trish around late 2003, 2004. Now that the time constraints, like now, like time constraints are holding her back because she's got it. 
Everything works. But she isn't given the proper time to have classic matches. It's the last thing I was thinking going to this project. I need Trish to have more time in the ring. It's fucking weird, man. But her selling is also top-notch. She doesn't tend to forget something is hurt or immediately start jumping up and down on an injured leg after she's won. No, no, no. Those antics are reserved for all-time greats like John Cena. Instead, if she's hurt, she moves her entire body as though she's compensating for an injury. You know, like how a human would. Look, I can't stress enough how much this project has turned my opinion of Trisha around work-wise. Maybe it's because my expectations were low with her, but I was kind of blown away watching her matches back. Yes, the bad years are there, right? And I'm going to take them as parts of a whole. But I'm definitely going to give her a bit of a bump for her vast improvement, her innovative moves, her consistent selling. Trish became a good worker. Plain and simple. So I'm going five out of ten. We're way in the bad. I don't think she's the top. She's not Bret Hart, but she's really good. I would say if it wasn't for the bad, she's probably looking at a six or a seven, which is high, very high. All right, let's deal with her matches. So I basically take the scores of all of her matches I have, uh, five-star on a five-star scale, uh, average it out, and then multiply by two to give us a score out of 10. And Trish uh, gets a five right on the dot, right? She's also got 38 pay-per-view matches, which is a really great sample size for this project. I actually think it's the, it's not more than Batista, but it's more than Honky. It's more than Nash. It's more than Jake. It's crazy when you think about it. Like everybody else, though, she's got her bottom matches. So her bottom five matches. Here we go. We're five, the fifth worst match. From Armageddon 2000, triple threat match versus Ivory and Molly Holly for the WWF Women's Championship. This is 100% the bathroom break match on the show. Molly comes out. She's nodding her way down to the ring. I don't know why she's nodding the way she does, but she does. It's not even to the beat of the music. Trish comes out to her guitar riff wearing a T and APA shirt. I think I need to go back over the narrative here because I don't remember that at all. Finally, Ivory comes out. Uh, she's um, the right to censor, so the sirens immediately piss everyone off. Trish in the ring is still burying her teeth like she's on some sort of a bikini shoot on a beach. Molly attacks Trish right away. Trish eats chops. Um, and JR says that these chops are to the pectoralis area, wherever the fuck that is. Pretty well executed sequence early on. Trish monkey flips Molly, who lands on her feet, but ends up eating a clothesline from Ivory. It's surprisingly well done. And that's not a slight on Trish at all. I just, I just, I don't know if I'll ever do her, but I think Ivory is like low-key the worst worker the company's ever had. And it's demonstrated immediately by her awful kicks. Fuck, she's awful. All right. And as soon as I'm ready to cut her some slack, Ivory, she sends Molly into the ropes and then like bends over to do a back body drop. But it's, she's there for a fucking eternity. And this goes back to what we talked about earlier with like women's wrestling pre-2005, it being half pace, right? Like if someone throws someone into the ropes and bends over for uh, a back, like a, a back body drop, right? It, it, it can't be longer than a second. Either the move happens or he pays for putting his head down. Ivory throws and her head is down for over two seconds. And that doesn't seem like much, but it's double the time it usually takes. And that's what makes it look fake. When you're choreographing fights for theater, remember my, my thesis in general is wrestling is theater, right? Something, and I, I do choreograph quite a few fights in my day job. 
you're really working towards making sure attacks and parries, let's say you're working with swords, attacks and parries meet at the same time. The idea being that if a parry is too late, there's no reason why the sword wouldn't follow through and hit the person. And it's the exact same concept here. In a fight, there, there can't be a moment where someone's not engaged in the fight. And as stupid as it sounds, that one second where Ivory is just waiting there completely exposes the business. Like, why is she waiting? And if you think about it for a second, it's because she's waiting for something to happen to her. Again, the idea of a back body drop is that you're using your opponent's momentum to hurl them over your head. If they aren't there within, I don't know, a, a second, what are you waiting for? Well, then you're waiting for your partner to the next predetermined move. And otherwise, after a second, you, you'd, you'd, you'd be like, what's going on? You'd look up, right? You wouldn't just stay down here. Trisha's boots she's wearing are doing her no favors. She's really struggling to walk and kick. She gets screamed at by Ivory to help her with a suplex. And then she helps. And then Trish then falls for the oldest trick in the book, high-fiving Ivory, before Ivory pats her on the back and Trish is forced to sell her like a fucking bullet shot her in the back. Ivory tries to pin Molly, but now Trish breaks that up. They, then they have the stupidest pantomime argument I've ever seen. The kind I would shut down immediately if it was in a play. They're just gesturing to each other as they walk into position. They're not actually saying anything, but like they're too far for Molly to jump from the top rope, so they got to get over there somehow. It's awful. It's not how humans act. Trish then jumps up on Molly's shoulders, just gets powerbombed. Molly doesn't pin her, though. Instead, Ivory runs up and pins her for the win. Now, obvious Ivory has never seen another person celebrate in her life, so her fucking behavior is weird. It's like that little girl from the meme where she takes her birthday cake and smashes it on the ground and, like, puts her fucking fists in the air. 1.75. It's awful. Poor Trish. I actually don't blame her for this, but it is part of her catalog. The whole matchup ends up being a backdrop for the TNA versus APA feud. Imagine having your women's championship be a backdrop for the ninth most important feud on the men's side. Number four. <laughs> Again, it's, it's not fair, but it is what it is. That's what they did with Trish, right? Uh, <laughs> from the Invasion show, teaming with Lita versus Tori and Stacey, bra and panties match. Yep, here we go. I mean, who's going to be really mad at this one, though? Once again, total bathroom break match. Foley's the ref, as though this fucking match needs a referee. Tori comes out to porno music. She's easily the most beautiful woman the, the company's ever had. And look, I'm not an asshole for objectifying her here. The whole point of this match is to objectify them. Stacy comes out with her hands on her hips. I guess that's why Trish was mad. Hey, that's my thing! WCW's hit, girls hit on Mick. Trish struggles to walk. I... I don't even know what that riff off her music. Are they horns? I don't know. Lita comes out. She's way more over than anybody in this match. It's total bullshit to start. WCW use Mick as a shield, but they're not they're not behind Mick or anything. They're just standing there. And for whatever reason, instead of living in, in this reality, Trish and Lita pull their punches as though the WCW chicks are standing behind a brick wall. Doesn't matter though. There's crappy double leg takedowns. Lita throws her shitty punches. Tori just rams, uh, Trish just rams Tori's head into the mat. Poor Trish is forced to sell Tori's shitty kicks and just stand there as Tori sets up another kick. Again, it's at half speed like usual. And it feels like at this point, now obviously this gets better, but it feels like at this point, no one has taught Trish how to do a flat back bump. Uh, like, and then as we're going through, Lita just whips Stacy in, rips off her top. The match is just devolving into Lita chasing Stacy around the ring. 
Stacy has no clue how to sell a Lita kick. She's not a wrestler. She's not a wrestler. I don't even know why they're bothering doing wrestling moves. I mean, what are we doing? Just take the clothes. If the point is just to take the clothes off, just take the clothes off, right? Like if you if you if you can't do things up to a certain standard, just make it different, right? Trish is in and has zero. I mean, zero wind up on her clotheslines. Just a straight arm out and then moves the whole body towards the opponent. Lots of pantomime in between. Tori steps on Trish's hair, pulls her whole body up. And then JR uh, ponders aloud, what must Mr. Wilson be thinking? I wonder if JR would have the foresight to know that Mr. Wilson would be fucked to death by Don Marie on this very program. Trish then gets creative rolling uh, Tori up and taking her pants off. I criticized Tori's kicks earlier, but Trish is not much better at this point. They strip Tori, then they hit the bulldog moonsault combo on Stacy for the win. Trish and Lita walk out in their bras, arm in arm, for some reason. Look, send everybody home, right? Let's just take it all off, right? Tori and Stacy are in the ring, uh, nearly naked. And before we can, you know, we don't linger on that a second, we cut away to Stephanie McMahon acting backstage. Whatever, it's a shitty broad panties match between four, four very attractive women. One and a half. <sighs> Number three. From WrestleMania 18 uh, versus Jazz and Lita, triple threat, WWF women's title. These poor women, these poor women, Trish, Lita, and Jazz have to follow Hollywood Hogan against The Rock and are once again the bathroom break match before the main event. And at this point, I'd call Trish the bathroom queen, but that's clearly probably one of the women that Vince paid off. Jazz comes out first with the title, Shitty version of Lita's music. Uh, that it, And they show the album. It's named after Rape, right? Uh, forcible Entry. Why'd you name an album that? Uh, boy, I bet Vince regrets that now. And then, well, fuck that. He regrets nothing. Uh, she doesn't know quite how to dance yet, Lita. Like, she, at least not to the music. She must have been a disaster fronting a band. Trish comes out in her hometown, all decked out in Canadian colors. They did a figure of this gear recently, but it's really not a good reproduction. There's no glitter. Uh, there's no desecration of the maple leaf being directly over Anos. Nothing. Jazz and Lita start before Trish can get down there. Trish and Lita stomp Jazz down. Trish is fucking throwing chops. They miss by a mile. Trish and Lita working their usual half speed. But J not Jazz. She's killing it at full speed. Jazz looks legit awesome here. It's just there's no one on her level here. Then she has to sell Lita's awful punches. Trish gets kicked out of the ring. And I, I wonder if Trish was hurt or something, because this is all Jazz and Lita. Jazz gets Lita up for a superplex, but then Trish runs up from behind and gets on Jazz's shoulders. Jazz touches her face, and for some reason, Trish drops her. And just as I start to wonder, I'm like, you know, I'm like, well, this isn't that bad. Why do I have this rank so low? Here comes the business exposing stuff. So Trish drops Jazz, but Jazz isn't sure what to do. So she kind of just stumbles around until Lita kicks her. She's too far from Trish, though. And then she has to stumble backwards for two, three steps so that Trish can roll her up. I mean, it's so slow. Like, she gets kicked in the face, and then she's like, oh, I'm not there. And, like, it's clear, like, she's walking backwards. It, I mean, heaven forbid, right? Heaven forbid that, you know, maybe Trish can move, Trish to roll her over, you know, like, to help her out. It would just help her out a bit, Right? Lisa, Lita, Lisa, Lita hits a nice crossbody on Trish, but then Trish kind of rolls through. 
but it's not a smooth roll through the way Greg, like Greg Valentine rolls through Ricky Steamboat at WrestleMania four. No, they both kind of land like rocks and then remember, Oh my God, Trish has to pin. So then they awkwardly kind of roll into position. I mean, it just feels like you're making your life harder. Like <laughs> the momentum probably really helps that move, but then it just makes it look more choreographed when it's not there. Then jazz punches Trish. Lita hits a fucking super sloppy jawbreaker on Jazz before hitting a shitty clothesline. Trish hits Lita with the chick kick, and it hits a pretty decent bulldog, but then Jazz gently places her foot on Trish to break it up. Jazz splashes Lita for two. Then Trish, presumably after reading my last paragraph and then traveling back through time, gives Jazz the biggest possible windup for a clothesline ever. Jazz dodges, hits a fisherman suplex for two. Trish doesn't sell it, of course. Gets right back up. Scorpion death drop on... Uh, jazz then a spot i hate in any triple h match uh, fuck a triple threat (laughs) fucking triple h man uh any triple i hate it in triple h matches too but especially in triple threat matches man or woman anyone so for four minutes everybody's been fighting everybody right and trish is pinning jazz lita pulls trish off and then trish takes issue with this like i hate this fucking spot Like, what does Trish expect Lita to do in this situation? Just let her win? Oh, no, you're right. You should win instead of me. What could Trish possibly be arguing? Also, they're not saying anything as they argue. They're just standing there making faces and moving their arms. Jazz then tries to get involved but gets launched down. It's Lita's shitty punches against Trish's forearms that miss by a mile. And then they fuck up a back body drop. But they fuck it up in a way that looks great. Like Trish's body spins in the air before hitting the ground. What a happy accident. A happy accident that almost sent Trish to a happy hospital. Nah, who am I kidding? No hospital in Canada is happy. You go in there and it's a six-hour visit. That's a goddamn miracle. Lita then grabs Trish for the twist of fate, does the Matt Hardy cry, but it's like the saddest Matt Hardy. Like, uh, like, it's like Matt, like, Matt, like, baby, please, just let me know if this feels good. Uh, then she just drops Trish. Does the same to Jazz. This time the sound is even sadder. Oh, I'm dating Matt Hardy. Does she understand that the setup and the yell are not the move? Hits Jazz with the Trist of Fate, then slams Trish before her. She takes her top off, pops the crowd. Then she climbs up. As she's climbing up the ropes to hit her moonsault, Trish has been on top. Trish's arm has been on top of Jazz for at least a six count. I guess we're not counting that. Lita moonsaults into Trish's knees. Let's out another sympathy grunt for Matt Hardy. And Trish is just not selling it all here, but her chops look good at least. Another terrible spot as Lita completely botches a kick, but somewhat redeems herself by tossing Trish into the corner uh, to counter a bulldog. Trish's knee then like gets mangled and she falls out of the ring. And then Jazz hits a fisherman buster from the top to kill Lita dead and win the match. I- Great finish, move-wise. Awful finish by not letting Trish win here. I mean... What would be the harm of giving the crowd a feel-good moment? They just watched their hero Hulk Hogan lose. They're about to sit through a Triple H match. I think with this one in general, if you take out all the clunkiness, the botches kind of add to the story, and this might have actually been good. But no one gave a fuck, and Lita and Trish are barely trained, so what do you want? It's just a series of things happening until one too many things happen and someone wins. What is this, fucking Ring of Honor? One star. Second worst match of all time. Vengeance 2001 versus Jackie for the WWF Women's title. I cannot, I, I couldn't, I would never have told you in a million years that Jackie is still wrestling. Never mind wrestling for titles at this point. 
Now, at least Trish is over as a face here and is somewhat walking like a human. She's all decked out in white. <laughs> Jackie's music is still the music from the Attitude Area. Zero reaction for poor Jackie when she comes out. Now here, we talked a bit about this earlier, but a word about how Trish is running the ropes in this match. She doesn't actually bounce off them in any way. Instead, she runs into them, stops, then runs into her opponent. It's, this is what makes it look like it's at half speed. Jackie hits a backdrop that Trish clearly jumps into. Again, this feels like more like a, a like a dance than a match. The crowd just wants puppies. Jackie puts her heads down, eats two kicks. Now, if I was a betting man, all right, I would wager that the second of those kicks was supposed to be to her stomach, but Trish just kicked her in the face. I say this because Jackie then screams, shoves Trish down, shoves the ref away, then stumbles around uh, for... For a few seconds, they're clearly lost. And then Jackie, despite just being kicked, kicks Trish down, slaps her hard way across the face twice. Why does no one hate Jackie for shit like this if they hate Shawn Michaels for stomping on Vader's head and yelling, right? Also, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Jackie's leg sweep, which is like so, has such velocity to it that it makes, it makes, um, it, it makes Trish land directly on Jackie's back. I'm not sure how the logistics of that work, but it was something. They fuck up a roll-up out of the corner. Another shitty rope bounce. Another contrived backdrop. Jackie with more stiff kicks, uh, including a wicked fucking drop kick to the back of the head. Then they just bump into each other coming out of the corner. Trish backslides her for the win. They shake. Trish is 100% recovered and smiling. You know, this was better than I remember. Still three quarters of a star in the match. And poor Trish's worst WWE match. WrestleMania 21 versus Christy Hemme for the WWE Women's title. And as I looked for this, you know, on the WWE Network, you see all the, the little uh, bookmarks. I had to stop and watch the Hulk Hogan return to save Eugene. So fucking great. It's insane, the frenzy he whips the crowd into. Anyway, um, Christy Hemme, probably my most favorite diva of all time. More so than even Francine. But I can't condone anything that's about to happen in the ring. Christy is skipping and smiling. Uh... The worst music I've ever heard. JR is already making, like, Christy's not really good on wrestling. Excuses. Trish, though, comes out. This is at the peak of her heel run. Looking like a complete superstar. Very little reaction for her, which I which I didn't like. Um, great heel work, though, from Trish as she mocks Lita's injury. Lita, who is standing with Hemi. The story is, like, Trish is jealous of the success. <laughs> Imagine, that's the actual story of one of these matches. That should immediately, like, there's a story. This should immediately put it above the others. But the problem is, is, like, it's written from the WWE's slanted point of view that all women hate one another. But, hey, things change, right? Right? Trish then starts the match by laying down and telling Christy to come cover her. Uh, Trish's gear here is so great. It's pants uh, with tight shirt and suspenders. Hemi can't even stand in the ring right. She slips and falls on a lockup. Any and all points given to this match are from Trish's heel work. Uh, she licks her hands in between the chops. Great. Then mocks Christy's skipping and enthusiasm. Christy then blocks a chick kick and just kicks her straight in the vagina. What a fucking baby face. Crowd boos, which they should. Christy's just a poor disaster here. And there's one moment where they literally, and Trisha's experienced by this point. This is how fucked up Christy is. They literally have no idea what to do, so they just pull at each other. Now, I want to say this is all Christy's fault, but then they do a spot where Hemi is in the corner and Trish charges. Hemi jumps way too early. Like, Trish is still, like, five, six feet away. 
and not moving fast. But Trill, Trill still acts as though Hemi got away at the last second, eats the corner. Like, just adapt. Trish doesn't sell it, though. Uh, instead, she hits almost a spear, according to JR. Trish does some bullshit on the outside with Lita. When she gets back in, she turns her back on Christy for a fucking eternity so that Christy can roll her up for a close two. Then, Christy starts giving the worst kicks I've ever seen in my life to the back of Trish's legs. Trish sells them like she's been fucking backed into the corner of the screen by Ryu and Ken. The match then falls apart with Christy in control. Her punches are awful. Her head smashes are terrible. Then, Christy rolls her up again, and the referee has to change the cadence of his count to not count three. Either Christy had too much weight, or Trish just forgot to kick out, or whatever. Jack Doan is holding this thing together by the skin of his teeth. But then, out of nowhere, Trish hits the chick kick, and it's over. Thankfully, half a star, whatever. So, what's noticeable is that everything bad for Trish is in her first two years of working, except for the Christy Emmy one. And the story with Trish has always been she got a lot better as she learned. And I think part of the problem was, is like too much of that learning happened on television for the biggest company in the world. Like, what does that say about your product when such a featured part of your show clearly isn't ready? And no, I don't blame her for Christy Hemi, but she didn't help either. And if I'm being fair, I could probably add, I don't know, half a star to each of these matches. They're not, some of them are bad, but they're not all horrible. They're, they're all short too. But I'm looking forward to watching some good stuff. Well, here we go then. Top five matches. Got to deal with the good and the bad. So number five from Raw, January 27th, 2003 versus Victoria in a street fight. Uh, great segment to start this off when Victoria goes nuts on a garbage can with Trisha's picture on it. Uh, she screams and Stephen Richards presumably cries. And we get a shot of Trish in the back, presumably taping her hands for the first time because it's going to be a, a street fight. Great spot off the start. We're back. Victoria jumps Trish on her entrance. And I think there's a nice sequence where they both choke each other out with a pool cue. <laughs> like, pool cue is such a, a more violent weapon than a kendo stick. Trish is throwing those forearms so much better now. Her kicks look awesome too. And Victoria does a great springboard leg drop over the top rope. JR at this point declares Victoria to be not only the standard Jezebel, but he also says she is colder than an ex-wife's phone calls when the checks are late. <laughs> Great stuff from JR. Victoria working the corner, and we can really see the difference between Trish's older stuff and this. Right away. And this is just the fifth best match. There's lots in between. Because it feels like a regular match. None of the half-speed bullshit. At least not yet, anyway. Trish takes two uh, garbage can lids, uses them like, like symbols on Victoria, like you saw, used to see in like Looney Tunes cartoons, and not stuff you usually see in women's matches. Great spot too, as Trish gets catapulted into a trash can, but Trish is placed it in the corner, and what I love, and I don't know if it's a mistake, but the way it's placed, it's not in there tight enough, but when Trish hits it, it fucking flies across the ring, and it's a great visual. Victoria takes control with cans and such, uh, but Trish then catches her on the top rope with the flipping her and Kanrana. And, you know, I don't, I think JR and King are usually pretty good, but I'm fucking furious that they're, instead of just focusing on this match, they're pimping a tables match coming up, which we've seen a million times. And these two girls are like busting their asses. Trish is just all over her with urgency that didn't exist in the matches we talked about earlier. Kicking out of like, kicking her out of the ring, great Fez press. It looks like Trish is trying to win the match. Then, in a fucking stupid spot, Steven Richards can't get a fire extinguisher word to work, so he blasts Victoria in the face with it instead. What an idiot, declares Ross, in the same conviction he had when he buried Sean Stasiak. 
But what a dumb spot. Like, I'm not going to punish the girls for that. Chick Kick has Victoria beat, but Richard saves. Trish destroys him with a kendo stick. And I like that, like, that's the only time we've seen a kendo stick so far in the match. It's just Trish beating up the second. Victoria hits a super kick. Trish is dead, but kicks out at two which with a great kick out. The crowd totally bought the finish. But there's just so much cheating from Victoria and Richards. They push Trish off the apron. She smashes into the barricade. Victoria covers on the outside for the win. I, this is really good. I could have done without the ending and Richards being like in, so involved. But three and a quarter, really fun match. Fourth best match. Teaming with Lita versus Chris Jericho and Christian Armageddon 2003. This was the payoff? The payoff for over two Canadian dudes betting they could bed these girls? I'm not sure if Lita and Trish thought they could win here, but they were fucking going to try. And I forgot how much crying there was in the storyline. Also, Christian looks like a jacked up Anthony Jeselnik in his graphic, you know, before the match. Maybe it's just the short clips here, but Trish's delivery is really good. Like, what's wrong? What's wrong with Jericho and Christian? Why would you want to fuck over these two girls? Like, seriously? Anyways, Trish overhears them laughing and bragging. That's the video package and is devastated. By the way, if you ever want to know if someone is fake crying, it's kind of really apparent in this Trish clip here. I think Trish is a fantastic natural speaker. Maybe the best in the company ever. No good at crying, right? And the reason being is that she only cries with her face. Like, if you watch someone cry in real life, if you, like, if you really, if you frighten someone or, like, stalk them from outside their window, you'll see that people cry with their whole bodies. This happens because when you have a heightened sense of emotion, like crying, um, your breath becomes extremely heavy. <gasps> it's the same thing, actually, when you're really angry. That's If you want to be mad, remember, it's, everything starts with your breath, right? Um, the breath being short and heavy manifests like will not only manifest tears flowing from your eyes and your face converting into a mess, but it'll activate your shoulders and your upper body as well. Most times you'll also have an erection. I really do love though that Jericho, when they come to the ring, is really conflicted about all this. He's developed real feelings. It's good and nuanced. Anyway, Eric Bischoff declares this the battle of the sexes. Jericho, despite being conflicted, still does all his intro bullshit anyway, which, ugh, you know... Lita's confident that she can win, which is dumb. And look, contrast with Jericho. Trish comes out. She's all business. I love it. She's selling the circumstances of the match way better than him. Um, at least from the very first time we see her on the show, right? She's all in. She's also much more of a natural talker than Jericho. Something I didn't expect to discover in this project. But she looks determined. And Jericho's trying to reason with her in the ring. But Trish keeps attacking him with like tremendous ferocity. Then Jericho has to put her across his knee and spanks her. That is not an, a spot that ages well. Christian tags himself in and violently shoves Trish down in the corner. I like the contrast. Like Christian is the real asshole of the team. Christian also does a great job stooging for Lita. The Jericho then Jericho punches Lita in the back of the head to massive booze. I mean, what do you want him to do? They take turns body slamming Lita, but in general, like what I like about this, because you know, you, you know, men against women can get kind of iffy, right? But they're not really doing too much that crosses any major uncomfortable lines. Like it's mostly wrestling moves with no punches. And as I type that, Christian fucking ripped Lita's top off, so fuck that, right? Uh, she then kicks him in the nuts, rightly. And Christian clearly told Trish before the match to just elbow him in the face because she is just hammering him. 
even the way Trish is hitting the ropes has changed. I mean, I criticized her earlier, but it's fixed now. Like, she's really trying to destroy her opponent, and it looks great. Christian has Trish beat, but pulls her up. It almost costs him, though, as Trish nearly sneaks out a win. But then Christian hits, like, a huge clothesline on Trish, and she's dead, dead, dead. Jericho tries to help her up, but Christian rolls her up and wins the match. Christian, of course, acts like he's won the world title. Jericho's upset. I wouldn't say this is a classic or anything, but I think neither woman looked out of place against really two all-time greats. It told a fine story, logical payoff to the feud, and I quite enjoyed this apart from the one or two kind of cringy things. I'm going to go three and a half. Third best match. Monday Night Raw, December 6, 2004, in the main event. Trish defending against Lita. Trish, we started with Trish stretching backstage and um, she tells off two douches who stop to stare at her. Awesome delivery. Uh, and then she calls Lita the walking kiss of death. She's just, Trish is just so natural. Lita then kisses her and throws her to the ground and, you know, no follow-up Lita. Man, imagine how much greater uh, this segment would have been like if it had been like a live sex celebration, right? Trish comes out with a face mask. I love how her heel mannerisms are completely different. I honestly don't remember who wins this match, uh, but they announced Lita as being from Carolina, and I'm like, like uh, that's where they are. And I'm like, oh, she's going to lose. <laughs> Intense lockup. They lead both to the outside. I like that these two have been fighting for so long. They know the moves. Like, Lita is able to avoid the Matrix dodge uh, and almost wins the title there. Lita then almost dies doing a tope suicida to the outside. I, I don't know what went wrong, um, but she landed, like, on her clavicle, and her whole body just compressed. Like, I I can't believe she's not injured. Like, it was like the biggest crunch I'd ever seen. Awesome heel work as Trish removes the mask and like ends up blasting Lita with it. She then seems to like reveal she wasn't injured. And there's a great segment on commentary where like King calls Trish beautiful and JR loses it on the King. I had to go back. I, I watched it maybe three, four times because it's a little three second outburst. But he's like, oh, yeah, beautiful women, beautiful women. Like, he's so angry at the King. I don't know why. Trish is just so good here, though. And that's no caveats, right? Nothing looks second rate. She even really cinches in a rest hold. Like, it's a full Nelson. But again, there are certain guys on the roster, uh, maybe certain hustle, loyalty, respect guys that don't cinch shit in like that. Lita hits a superplex and screams uh, more hurt than Trish. It's like because she had the neck injury, which I liked. Awesome kick out from Trish off that. Like, Kurt, Le Kurt Angle level here. Both girls are doing a great job selling the damage of the match. They're all hitting moves, but with great exhaustion. Lita almost gets her again with a sunset flip. Such a great near fall. Then Trish pins Lita with her feet on the ropes. And now Lita is kicking out like she's Kurt Angle. The satisfaction into the reversal was a bit clunky, but again, not horrible. Twist of fate, moonsault, Lita wins. I can't believe they put her over in her hometown. This is just really good. It's only eight minutes, but both women worked hard, completely deserving of the main event uh, and the slot that they received. Both wrestled with urgency, which I loved. Both wanted to win. Three and a half. I dug this. Second best match. 2019 SummerSlam, Charlotte Flair. Great story off the top. With Charlotte being arrogant and Trish trying to prove herself. Again, we're back to plucky Trish, which is cool. And Charlotte is just such a great base. So Trish can do all kinds of funky shit. I'll be honest, as I was watching this, I didn't take a ton of notes because I was just getting more and more into the match. Great spots. Uh, a great spot where, like, Trish eats the stairs on the outside. More violent than I'd ever seen her. And Charlotte is just such a crazy physical specimen here. Like, Trish looks like a cruiserweight next to a heavyweight. 
Charlotte gets behind her, pulls her arm, and I don't see any conceivable way in which Trish can get out of this move. And as much as I've complimented Trish's elbow smashes, Charlotte's just are so tight and legit. Fantastic heel stuff from Charlotte as she bludgeons Trish and mocks her. Man, I'm just getting lost in it. And I don't remember it, but it, it, I didn't remember like lo, how why I liked it like when I had it ranked originally. But I just really thought it was so good on this watch. I think there may have been a bit too much Charlotte um, like bullying at the start. But Trish had so much fire and, and hung with her. Like really hung with her. And all I kept thinking throughout this match was, man, 2000 Trish would have had an awesome match with Charlotte. As it stands, it's very good. Three and a half stars. But there can be only one best Trish Stratus match. And it's from WrestleMania 22 against Mickey James for the women's title. I love how immediately everyone is behind Mickey because the entire audience knows what it's like to be spurned by the hot girl. The entire storyline was based around Mickey being crazy. Uh, she's a dangerous stalker. And yet she's treated like a conquering hero right from the start. The recap too is great. They're both clearly locked into their characters, which is a rarity for the women's division at this point. Trish comes out serious, selling the severity of the situation. I love that. Not enough wrestlers do it. Great aggression off the start with the lockup. I love it. It plays right into the storyline that it went from love to hate. Tremendous spot as Trish blocks a Mickey kick and throws her to the mat. And then Mickey lands in a splits position and the crowd like gasps. Trish then, they go to the outside. Trish misses a kick and kicks the post by accident. This becomes important because she starts selling this leg. I should probably mention how great Mickey is in this too. She's really good. Like, Trish finally has someone at her level to wrestle. Finally, uh, Mickey methodically works the leg down and the crowd chants, starts chanting for Mickey. Mickey spins around in the ring. The crowd loses it for her. It's fantastic. Trish, fighting from underneath is now fighting out to massive booze. The crowd is having none of her. They're throwing bombs, Mickey and Trish, and this thing is turning into a war. Trish still selling the leg minutes later is the kind of thing that really elevates this match. Then, one of the best moments of the match happens. Mickey's sitting on the top. Trish does her flipping Hurricane Rana, but Mickey catches her and kind of jumps to the outside and rips Trish's leg over the top rope. Crowd already cheers at that. But then Mickey stops to laugh and poses, like with her arms back, looking up to the sky, and the crowd loses it, right? Like, just loses it. They're cheering so hard for her. When we get to Mickey James in this project, I can almost guarantee this is probably her single greatest moment, if you take a snapshot, because in this moment, she's a fucking star, and she's won over the crowd completely. And you gotta give credit to Trish for that, too. Awesome facials for Mickey as she climbs into the ring. She's just looking crazy. Then she rolls up Trish in the most sexual way, of course. Think Edge with uh, Beulah. Close to. Uh, and like the sexual tension that has been built up as part of this feud really colors the match well. Trish then charges Mickey in the corner, but Mickey jumps and catches Trish's head between her legs. Like right in there. Like right in there. Crowd. Losing it. Like absolutely losing it. It's fantastic. But then Trish grabs her and turns it into a sick powerbomb. But her leg is hurt, so she can't capitalize. Great! Trish then fights back and gets Mickey in the position for the stratisfaction. But then Mickey goes ahead and gets a big fucking grab at Trish's crotch. And holy shit, does this get a reaction from the crowd. Now, you won't see it. You had to have watched it that night. But that pop is edited out. 
Okay. I don't know why they edited out the pop. I don't know why. But they also edited out the lick of the hands from Mickey, which was incredible. The crowd is at a complete frenzy. They just want to see him fuck. Come on, do it. Uh, great spot as Mickey kicks Trish's leg out from under her leg and she falls right onto Mickey's knee. Mickey then just picks her up, chick kicks her in the face. I know there was a botch here, but I can't remember what it was. But after the chick kick, Mickey pins her and wins. This match is just fucking great. The storyline it was built on was incredibly solid. And they weaved it into the match perfectly. Not only that, but the match told a great cohesive story with Trish hurting her leg early on and never being able to recover. The character work was sublime. Everything just clicked. Not only that, but the in-ring moments were magic. I remember watching live when Mickey jumps off the top and hurts Trish's leg and poses. I remember thinking that like something special is happening. This is easily, for me, the best WWE women's match pre-2015. And it's not a caveat at all. It's a great match start to finish. Four stars. I could see a credible argument as to why it should be higher. And it's cool that by 2003, Trish has got it together and she's rapidly improving with every match. And I think my earlier thesis stands that if she was given more time in the ring, she'd, we'd probably even have a higher view of her than we do now. 100%. Promos! Uh, I find the whole story with Trish, the story of Trish is a story of improvement. So why should this be any different in the promo department? Uh, it's hard to find a promo uh, from close to her debut, but I found a very quick one. Now, look, it's really quick, but it highlights all the things I usually have a problem with. And it's also the debut of TNA on SmackDown. So she comes out in the end and says this. You see, we give you what you want to see. What's that? T for test. And A for Albert. T and A. Yes, TNA! You see, we give you what you want to see. Four emphases in one sentence across ten words. Look, people don't talk like that, right? The emphasis is almost certainly the word want. We give you what you want to see. Or conversely, uh, like, you could, you could say, like, you could say we, like, you could you could emphasize we if you're contrasting, meaning that if Vince came out and said, I give people what they want to see, then you could say like, no, we give you what you want to see. That would work in that case. But um, as in you, but not me, right? Anyways, <laughs> T for test, A for Albert. Again, no variety in the value, naming the same tone. Then T and A. It's so short, but I want to present it as a contrast to how far she's come. This is not a human being speaking. She had clearly no idea to do what to do with the limited dialogue they had given her. I include this because every other promo I found is really fucking good, including this one. You see, we give you what you want to see. Four emphases across one sentence uh, in 10 words. People, people don't talk like this, okay? They just don't. Uh, the emphasis is almost certainly want in that sentence. We give you what you want to see. Uh, or conversely, if they were contrasting, 
meaning that you could you could hit the we, meaning if like Vince came out and was like, look, I give people what I want to see, what they want to see, pal. And then you could say like, no, we give you what you want to see. That would make sense. But again, the rule of one emphasis, it always has to be that way. Um, anyways, T for test, A for Albert. Again, no variety, uh, depending on who they're talking about. She finishes by saying T and A. I, look, I just include this because it's such a contrast to everything she does after, right? She had no idea what to do with the limited dialogue uh, that they gave her. And it's it's brutal. This is a brutal little segment. It's one sentence and she struggled with it. But there's so much good, including this one. Very well, then. <laughs> Lita, do you take this man to be... Sorry, Father. I am not here to stop the ceremony. I am simply here to show my support for my very good friend, Lita. You know, I thought it was just plain terrible that on your big night, you didn't even have a maid of honor. So I thought to myself, who better than me? Maid of honor? I even wore white, because I knew that you couldn't. Now, Lita, I personally don't believe in sex before marriage, <laughs> but I want to let you know that I support your decisions 100%. Now, honey, I know that you're nervous and confused about having to marry Cain. <laughs> but I just want to let you know that everything is going to be just fine. All you have to do is open your heart, just like you opened your legs. Okay, right away, great example of contrast. She's not there to stop the ceremony, tone change. I'm here to show support, tone change. For my very good friend Lita, the I'm not doing, I'm not here to do this, I'm here to do that, is exactly how humans talk. Especially because Trish is trying to convince the pastor that she's not there to ruin the wedding. She's looking for time to say, time for her to say what she has to say. So she assures, that'd be the action, to assure, the priest that she's not there to disrupt. This requires a calming tone, which Trish does. Also, the color on my very good friend Lita is filled with sarcasm and disdain. It's an awesome start. The sarcasm continues as she declares that um, it was just plain terrible that Lita didn't have a maid of honor. But it's like a different manifestation of sarcasm. She adds more of like a mocking tone to it. It's just such a detestable action. Like, why would we... Why? But she's doing it so well, it's hard to hate her. Trish continues, Though I thought to myself, great setup, Right? Who better than me? Great conclusion on me. See, when you're speaking, like, especially when you're trying to get speech across that, like, when you're trying to hook in an audience, you need a setup and a payoff. If you don't have the payoff, the speech is hurt. Like, if I were to say, I'm coming over, I'm going to kill you, one tone, that's less threatening than, like, if I change tones. Look, I'm coming over, and I'm going to kill you. It, it's it's setup, payoff. It works really well. Uh, that's what Trish does well here. It, like... <laughs> 
she does so much well here. It's on the presentation of Maid of Honor. It should be me. He brings it back. It's great. Uh, the declaration of her even wearing white is fantastic, as is the little wink. <laughs> and she's like, I know you couldn't wear white on your wedding. Wink. She's just so natural when she starts to talk to you about not having sex before marriage and supporting Lita's decisions. She even pauses before she says that you're going to marry Kane. You can tell she's disgusted, but she fakes out a nice tone for Kane. And this pleases him. Like, it's such a nice touch. Again, though, dripping in sarcasm when she says, everything's just going to be fine. And then catch the rate of delivery on the last shot at Lita. All you have, she changes and it's great. All you have to do is open your heart. Then she slows down just like you opened your legs. The slowdown is brilliant because it forces the audience to listen, but it also builds anticipation and shows you what is being said is important. Then they fight. Kane had to get lead off or it look this is this is such a brilliant piece of heel business the interruption the visuals and Trish's fantastic performance I'm gonna say something crazy here I think that besides Vince McMahon Trish Stratus might be the best natural speaker the company has ever had now she's not usually in a position to cut long promos but because she's so natural she's actually the best suited to cut those promos I listened to a ton of promos to figure out like which one to pick, and they're all good. There's a great promo when she's in Toronto, lambasting Americans for not respecting her. <laughs> Idiots. She's really, it's great. There's great stuff when she's shitting on Christy Hemi. Even her post-2018 stuff is great. She just speaks and acts like a, like a real person. And she makes you care. And you want to see her get her ass kicked or kick somebody's ass. As a promo... She's awesome. I don't know if she's talking people into buildings, but she's talking like a person. Even Diesel at his best, his best promo, the one we looked at last episode, it's nowhere near as natural as Trish. Like it's 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 just not. He just he, you can always tell he's someone who's reciting verbiage, whether it be lines or whether it be just stuff he's making up. Trish feels like she's speaking with purpose. I always tell actors there's a big difference between uh, talking and speaking and hearing and listening. Um, one is active, one is passive. Talking is passive. Speaking, as in to convince someone of something, is active. And the same goes for hearing and listening. But I think this is a home run here. I'm going to go 8 out of 10 uh, for the promos with Trish. And really, that's the best of everyone we've come, we've done so far, except Jake, who finished with 10 out of 10. So I think there's something here. I think Trish is a really special promo. Next is importance. And... Um, I feel I've been pretty positive with Trish so far. In fact, the categories that I thought would kind of uh, tank her a bit have really buoyed her up. And historical importance seems to be one that most would say she scored high on. And at the onset of this, I had her scoring quite well. But then, then I thought about it some more. And I suppose the argument is that Trish is the trailblazer for what women's what the women's division is today. And... I'm just not that sure that that statement holds weight. See, I've long pushed back against the argument that China was a sort of trailblazer in the company. And I like China, um, but the proof is in the pudding. We didn't see a swarth of large, muscular women. We didn't see, we, we saw Asia and WCW, but we didn't get like Antarctica or Australia or Europe, you know, later. More that they just didn't have muscular women populating the WWE in the wake of China's departure. And if we had, 
then we could say, yeah, you know what? China inspired the next crop of women and eventually forced the hand of the company to change. Trish became, in my eyes, I, I, I say this without reservation, the best female worker the company had to that point. When she leaves, though, they don't really continue in that vein with the women's division. It, it's like the lesson is not learned. And within a few years, we're back to the Bellas and Layla and Kelly Kelly anchoring the division. And I mean, it seems like, and I know Trish is a weird anomaly at this, but it seems like the division is anchored upon looks as opposed to skill. That might have been what they were going for with Trish too. It's just Trish got good, right? Now in, the, in Trish's immediate departure, you can see they sort of try focusing around Mickey and Melina, but it's just not the same. And I think for a little while, Trish sadly kind of gets lost to history. So you'll hear an awful lot of female wrestlers citing Lita as their influence rather than Trish. And maybe my opinion of Lita will change when I go back into a deep dive into her. But I think this kind of works as a metaphor for society as a whole. Everyone was wowed by the flash of Lita, but unfortunately not as impressed with the direct, with the substance of Trish. And I don't know if you get the women's revolution in 2015 via a direct line from Trish Stratus. Perhaps I'm wrong, but I think the mothers of that revolution are Paige and AJ Lee which probably makes the grandmothers Natty and Beth Phoenix. Now, there's probably a case to be made that Natty was inspired by Trish to some degree. I think she's even said it in some interviews. But it's not really apparent in her style of working at all. Anyways, I don't want this to come off as a slight to Trish here. I'm really formulating my thoughts about her. I think she's still influential. I mean, there's probably an argument to be made that if she doesn't improve, it's possible the WWE abandons the whole concept of a women's division and we never go back to it. Also, I keep coming to the realization that she becomes a worker on par with the men, which is really rare until recently, and that's got to count for something. Now, throughout this project as well, I always want to, I always try to see if someone has come at the right place at the right time, and Trish Stratus, like in every category so far, is a yes and a no. So I think she needed to be in the era she existed in to improve the way she did. I mean, if you drop her in 1994 against the Lunder Blaze, like Medusa probably fights her to hurt her and she's one and done. If you drop her today at her humble beginnings, she probably doesn't make it out of NXT. Then again, maybe if she comes through the NXT system, uh, she gets to the roster prepared and is good from the start. All that to say that her appearing in 2000 when the women's division is kind of at a low point opens the opportunity for her to step in and grow. So from that perspective, it's good she arrived when she did. But, and it's a big but, I can't help but lament the fact that we didn't have prime Trish in the ring during the women's boom between 2015 and 2019. I mean, sure, we got Trish and versus Charlotte, and Trish did really well, but it's not prime Trish. She could have had incredible matches against Sasha, Bailey, Becky, Asuka, Kari Sane, and yes, even Ronda Rousey. And again, I don't want this to sound leery in any way, but like she kind of puts the whole package together in a way the current crop of women don't. Not to say that these women aren't beautiful because they are, and that's not the point, but, but Trish is really, Trish is like your classic bombshell, right? And I say this not to drool all over him or like some kind of a fucking cartoon wolf, but I think the WWE being what it is today, a woman as competent as Trish 
could have had massive crossover appeal. Plus, like we talked about, she's really good in the promo department. She's a, she's a really solid actor too. So these are things that would put her above the current crop. Like maybe she'd be a little less athletic than Charlotte and Becky and Sasha and Bailey. But none of them have Trisha's natural ability in promos or character for that matter. I don't want to say it was a shame that we got Trish when we did because we needed her then. But it's almost more of a shame for her that she didn't get to evolve in an era where her her craft was respected and the opportunities to bigger be a bigger star were more prominent. Trish definitely overachieved though. Uh, I mean, she could have easily been another Tori or Terry Reynolds. Now, I don't say again to denigrate either one of them. Uh, they were both an important part of WWF programming and a very important of my uh, important part of my um, formative years, if you will. But Trish transcended that and became a living, breathing character on the show. And that's no small feat uh, for a beautiful woman coming out of the Attitude Era. She never had the best match on the show, as far as I could tell. And what ends up hurting Trish a bit is that nine times out of her 38 pay-per-view appearances, she has the worst match on the show. Now, I would say that post-2003, I don't think it's necessarily her fault. I think it's a victim of circumstance, like the time she's given and her opponent's. But when it happens over and over, like, especially before that vague cutoff around 2003, she's got to bear some of the blame. And it's also, too, when she's having worst match of the show, it's not like how Triple H and Mankind is the worst match at Canadian Stampede. Like, none of, some of them are, like, legit stinkers. See? A nice thing about Triple H. But all in all, I think she scores really well for importance. I've been back and forth, um you know, with the grade throughout the writing process, even as I was, I was, as I was breaking it down. When I started the project, I had her, because I, I do like a preliminary quick score. I had her started at a nine. Then I came down to six. And I think that when you, you factor everything in uh, regarding Trish, uh, she ends up landing for me at seven. And I think that's fair. It highlights how important she was to the division. But at the same time, it takes into consideration that she wasn't quite the trailblazer that some narratives would have you believe. And sometimes, her fault or not, her matches ended up hurting the show sometimes. But I think seven is good. Because, like, I mean, to give you context, it ties her with everyone else on the list so far, except for Diesel, who scored an eight, right? And uh, Jake, who scored a five. So you see, she's, of the guys we've dealt with so far, she's right up there in terms of importance. Uh, again, like, scoring quite well. Presentation is our next category. And how, I mean, how do you rate someone in presentation, who's the centerpiece of a slice of the company that is constantly treated as second rate. Within the confines of the women's division, Trish is presented as the queen for the most part. As early as 2001, she is consistently propped up as the ace of the division, even though she was probably closer to a four of clubs at the time. She was probably given tons of time. She was constantly a focus point. She was always on Raw. She also has the most pay-per-view matches of any woman in company history to that point. I mean, they were clearly all in on Trish from the very start. What's puzzling is how they presented her until that jump-off point where they went all in. I mean, they, may, they managed to make her one of the worst conceived teams of all time in TNA. Then there's the whole barking dog. I mean, can you really say that they're behind a talent if they're humiliated on television? Like, we always point back to William Regal kissing Vince's ass, but like, he was never presented as a top guy. And I'm curious if that moment, as memorable as it is, kind of put that in their eyes. 
Like, and why did we need to humiliate her with Vince, right? We already knew the character of Vince McMahon was a piece of shit, right? Not only did we hear him growl that he wanted a divorce and that he wished Shane was never born, but we had functional eyes and ears and we watched his business practices for years. Did we really need him degrading Trish Stratus? And I feel they kind of dropped the ball with Trish when it came to merchandise at the time. I remember the shirt that came out being like a black shirt with 100% Stratisfaction, I don't know, circle across the front. And I want to say this is really a hard category. I've actually ordered a bunch of old WWF magazine catalogs that I'm going to start using more for this. Uh, But this is tricky because it's very hard to see what merchandise is old versus new. I'm doing my best. Uh, But yeah, like it's, I love the color scheme of the shirt, right? Uh, A Stratisfaction across the front. I like the blue, uh, black shirt with the blue, but I don't know. I mean... Who's buying that shirt? I also wonder who who the shirt is for. I always wondered if men were into buying shirts for the female wrestlers at the time. Not that they weren't not that there weren't female fans going to the shows, but in many ways, and I could be wrong, and maybe someone could correct me on this. It may have been hard uh, to be a female fan in the of the WWE during Trish's reign because the women were so objectified all the time. I'm sure it also didn't help that another one of her shirts says blow me on the front and then into the stratosphere on the back. I mean, where are the two small cowboy hats for your head? Where's the fake time to rock and roll guitars? Speaking of rock and roll, let's deal with her music. First, there's this gem. Where is that guitar being played from? I mean, it sounds like the amp is being played through a steel drum from the local dump, right? Like, I'm sure it's a filter, but what's that filter called, right? Like, I don't get it at all. (laughs) I'm not a musician, so here we are. This is my ignorance showing. I feel the whole thing is like the height of a generic song. Besides Jim Johnson going apeshit with his tambourine. And what's with the weird guitar solo halfway through? How how self-indulgent do these musicians have to be on these recordings? This is the most self-indulgent guitar ro- recording since Hearing Aid recorded Weird Stars back in the 80s. And I've never heard such a, a contrast between the, t- like the, the complexity of the instruments. I mean, the guitar player is going fucking nuts. He must have, there must be no skin left on his fingers, right? But the keyboard could have been played on a little tykes thing from by a 10-year-old. Look, I suppose this song was a good enough tune for Trish to walk down to the ring with her arms on her hips too. But what did it tell us about the characters? I mean, it's not pure garbage. It's fine, but not exactly inspired. Then there's the song that everyone associates with Trish. little giggle off the start but here's here's what perturbed me how does Trish Stratus in any way represent rock and roll 
Also, why are we talking about rocking and rolling during a smooth R&B song? I can't imagine Twisted Sister screaming about hip-hop or needing to produce smooth jazz. We gotta have jazz! Is our next album. Like, what's the next album? Religious fundamentalism? If you're a rocker, you sing about rock. If you're an R&B song uh, singer, you don't sing about country music. Like, the only country music that ever sang about another form of music was the West Texas Rednecks. And we all love them, but they're one in a million. I guess the singers of Trisha's song are also using rock and roll as some sort of a verb, but it's an awfully specific verb to appropriate. It's like, it's like me saying, I'm going to go weld some pipe, but really I'm going to go play basketball. I don't know. I just never liked this song. It feels like the same Stephanie McMahon sung shit we ever had from every woman from 2004 to 2010. And could they not get anybody else to sing the song? Why are we not mad at Stephanie for appropriating another thing? Like, like the beat, also the beat isn't good. Like, listen to the beat, right? Why are they turning the bass down for the women? I guess she used the song enough. It's synonymous with her. I just, I don't know. Like, Lita's song is way better. You know, for example, Beth Phoenix's song is, is, is great. Candace Michelle's is weird. The Bellas is even, nah, yeah, it's fine, you know? But it's iconic. This is an iconic because it's associated with her, but I think it's maybe the weakest song of the bunch. All right, she had um, Championship Reigns, and I usually rank the title Reigns, and I'm going to try, but it's hard considering, like, how little focus was put on the championship during Trisha's reign. Uh, you know, it, it, it's difficult, right? They certainly thought enough of her, though, to give her the belt on seven occasions. So the worst one, I think, is her first reign uh, when she wins the vacant title from the six-pack challenge at the 2001 Survivor Series. This has the disastrous defense against Jacqueline, the eventual destruction by Jazz. I guess she was just emotionally devastated from uh, the McMahon breakup. Uh, Sixth, um, I think her final win slots in nicely here. She gets to win the title from that Jezebel Lita on uh, the night she retires from the company. Honestly, a nice farewell and a far cry from the humiliations of the past. Five, one month nothing rain from WrestleMania 19 to Backlash 2003. It just felt like, hey, we need something to happen at WrestleMania at the women. We'll make Trish win the belt kind of thing. Four, another nothing rain. She won the title in a hardcore six-person match in May of 2002 on Raw. Lost it a month later, Molly Holly, King of the Ring. Third best, later in 2002, she wins the title Unforgiven. Another nothing rain, but at least it culminates with the hardcore match against Victoria at the Survivor Series, which I like. Her second best, I like heel Trish in full form, uh, Bad Blood 2004, which is an awful show, uh, where she wins a title from Victoria in a fatal four-way, and um, she gets a decent rain. It, it lasts till December, where her and Lita, a main event, Raw. So you also get the wedding interruption in here, so I think it's a fun little run. But I guess her best one honestly has to be um, when she takes the title back from Lita at New Year's Revolution 2005. She holds it for over a year. I think this is peak Trish. She's fantastic here and uh, just a great character on the show. She also had many looks over the years with her gear. Hundreds, I suppose. I'm going to try to break it down into some phases. And no, I'm not going to be some sort of pig and rank all the goddamn lingerie shoots. All right? So number seven, brawn panties Trish. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, there's only a five. Uh, number five, one piece bodysuit that uh, WrestleMania 19. And I'd say this is probably her most generic look. 
It's basically short shorts with a tank top that covers the bulk of her upper body. I don't know. She's wearing like a kind of silver shiny shit at WrestleMania 19. It doesn't exactly scream superstar. Number four, uh, let's go with what I call classic Trish. I think you know this one. Short shorts, uh, tanked up on top, but they're two different pieces of clothing, often two different colors. It's the WrestleMania 18 look, the one from Toronto where she had the Canadian colors all over her. To me, this is the first thing I think of when I think Trish. The cowboy hat, the weird-ass long robe with no sleeves. You know, that combo. Number three, heel Trish pants, crop top and suspenders combination. WrestleMania 21. <laughs> she's wearing, I think she's wearing a top, like a fedora also. Um, I, I just think like she looks like a total douche here. I mean, why have the suspenders? But they all fit into like this incredible heel character. And it made her look really big time next to poor Christy Hemi, who was in the most generic gear you could imagine. Number two, uh, her final night in the company, uh, in, in the first time, at Unforgiven 2006, she's got really cool long tights with laces going down the sides with like a sports bikini thing on top. It's all white. I guess if Batista's taught me things, I really like the all white attire. But this felt like an evolved version of the female wrestler here. It looked legit. And it, it reminded me of like uh, Michelle McCool later. I, there's something athletic about the look. But number one uh, look, I really, I dig the whole persona and branding of her sporadic return since 2018. I love the use of the initials T and S in the vein of Twisted Sister. I think that's really inspired. Like there, there's, there's a shirt I would buy. Her ring gear also fits really well in the current era. It's functional for wrestling as opposed to just looking good. And don't get me wrong, it does look good, but it's adapted to the era, which I think is really cool. And I know there's a million different looks in here, but suffice it to say, they seemed like these seemed like the major eras. And I, I'm going to be totally transparent. I found this was a weird segment to do for the women because I didn't want to come off like I'm ogling Trish. You know, if this is your first podcast, please keep in mind that like this is a segment in everyone. Like I've done it for the men, I've done it for everyone. Um, Trish had a few figures too come out in the Jax era. But for whatever reason, they just couldn't get the face scan right. They did various gear and such, but if you can tell the difference between her face and Molly Holly's on a figure, then mister, you're a better man than I. The weirdest figure Jax did for her was when they were trying to recreate the LJN feel in their classic Superstars line. They made Trish, uh, so there's one per line, so you know they thought a lot of her. Uh, and you know what? At first, I was going to say, wow, this really looks like a blow-up doll. But now I kind of look at it more clearly. Like I, I took a really good look at it. And I think it's actually a really cool cartoon version of her. Yeah, it's not bad. Uh, I kind of wish I had it now. Mattel, though, uh, since the 2000, early 2010s, uh, much better. Albeit very sporadic uh, with releasing Trish Stratus figures. The first one was way back in Elite 24. If you're not a cl uh, figure collector, just know they're closing in on Elite 100 now. So 24 is from good 10 years ago, right? Uh, in Elite 24, they released her 2004-ish look where she's wearing long black pants with a pink crop top on top. It's a great figure, really hard to find. Then they released a Hall of Fame Trish in which she's all black and her hair is brown. I'm guessing this must have been based off the 2011 return to fight for Snooki's honor. And for a while, I was like, fuck, I gotta, I gotta pony up to get the Elite 24. But then, in the past year with Elite 88, they released classic Trish. So, uh, pink short shorts, black tank top, pink hat, and long robe. This is the one that stands on my shelves today. And I think it's really cool that uh, they actually made a chase of her uh, where she's wearing the Canadian colors. The chase is uh, 
uh, harder to find, if, again, if you're not a fan. And uh, sometimes it'll be like an off-color kind of thing. Uh, I think they're all good, these Mattel figures in their own way. But I think Elite 24, the original one, has the best head scan. I'd love if they made a, a modern Trish figure in the Twisted Sister gear. I'd buy that immediately. So all in all, I think she's presented very well, with the exception of the humiliations. She really is the the centerpiece of... God, the entire women's division uh, and is always treated as a legend upon her return. Hell, in the first Women's Royal Rumble, they thought enough of her to give her the number 30 spot and it just didn't disappoint anyone. I'll go seven for presentation. Feuds is next. Trish runs into the same problem as everyone else from the era. They just have a series of matches rather than full-on feuds. And But I don't want to tank her for two reasons. One, I really think the Jericho-Christian stuff is legit solid storytelling. Yes, solid within this world. As Jericho and Christian talking loudly around the cameras is fucking stupid. But once you kind of get past that, and you accept that this is happening in the wrestling world as opposed to, say, a film screen, right? It kind of, it really does feel like Trish and Jericho are real human beings going through real human emotions and interactions, right? Heartbreak happens. Men can be jerks. I don't love uh, that it went to the cliched, hell hath no fury like a woman scorned ending. I mean, how many times over the years has a wrestling commentator uttered that very cliche? But it's a fun feud, and it lasts for months, and it's a good use of them, while they didn't want them necessarily to be the focus of the women's division. And then there's the whole Mickey James angle. They'd never really done an obsessed fan angle before. I guess they did with Tori and Sable, but it, it was shit compared to this, right? Um, but Trish and Mickey were fantastic here. We could all tell where it was going, uh, but they were just so good in their roles that they made it feel spontaneous, which is, you know, what you want to be aiming for. And you could understand why Trish had had enough of Mickey, but you can totally also understand why Mickey was hurt by Trish, right? It's, it's nuanced. It's good. It was never presented like Mickey was some sort of a mastermind. Instead, everything that happened, happened as a result of the actions of the two characters. And it delivered a classic match. Uh, so it's hard to have a six-year run, though, and only have two memorable feuds <laughs> throughout the time. Now, yes, I, you could throw Lita in there, but it's kind of all over the place. You know, obviously she feuded with Ivory. She feuded with uh, Victoria. But it just feels like that's back and forth as opposed to feuds for me. So two and a half feuds, three, maybe three feuds in, three year, uh, in six years isn't great. But then the feuds deliver, so I want to give them a bit more weight. So we'll go the Gentlewoman's Five here for feuds. Last category, moments. Everything, obviously, is hurt by the company's view of the women's division. This has been a point I keep making, and I'm, I hope I'm not boring you with it. Um, but can we really get a call a title win a great moment if the title changes all the time and if the announcers can barely get excited when such a change happens? The women's title is like a hot potato for most of Trish's runs, so, except for her year-long run. So while there were title wins and her kicking Vince in the nuts... Do these moments really resonate through the years? And once again, I'm going to point out again, it's not Trish's fault. They just don't care about the division. So some of the moments are strong. I love the heel turn on Chris Jericho, despite the fact that I wish the story had gone the other way. When she got to have a moment, she nailed it. I love the lingerie-clad Trish trying to ruin Lita's forced wedding. Main eventing Raw is huge. Retiring with the belt is huge. Uh, having hardcore matches in the women's division, huge. There's all kinds here, and it's, there's a lot of fun stuff. She's just never in a position to have that era-defining moment the way 
say Bailey and Sasha have in 2015. It's sad and she deserves better. I find her best and worst angles are really tied into the single best and worst moments. So let's treat them all as one and the same. A single worst moment for Trish. Oh, look, obviously it's barking like a dog. Obviously. Her single best moment. I'm going to go with the WrestleMania 22 match with Mickey. Yes, I know she loses. But she helps build an incredible feud with Mickey. And they have a match that should legitimize the whole enterprise of women's wrestling. And it's based off the hard work of Trish. The results are superb. So all in all moments, I'm going to go six. Um, I wish she had more. I wish they put more focus, but that's where we are. So let's get this out of the way right away. Trish finishes with a final score of 58. That places her five out of six people we've dealt with so far. Two points ahead of the Honky Tonk Man, three points behind Diesel. Now, this seems like, oh my God, she's near the bottom, but can we give some context here? So far, I'll admit, I haven't dealt with the top of the top. There's no Hogan, there's no Austin, there's no Cena. Although Cena's still wrestling probably, so he won't talk to wrong. But you get what I mean. The people I have dealt with are still all-time greats on some level. Jake, Razor, Batista, and Diesel. These are bonafide legends. Legends who are given time and space on every show to carve out their legacy. So finishing five out of six in that spot is really good. And... Like I, As much as I haven't dealt with anybody who's the top of the top, you haven't seen Al Snow on this thing yet either. He's going to fall much lower, you know? So I think, I think we're going to see Trish is going to end up middle, if not coming out the top of the middle of the pack. So the Trish uh, bashing, I guess it was just me, but I'm not going to take it anymore. Uh, look, of all the people I have covered on this podcast so far, Trish is the most surprising to me. I'd like to feel that my... That since 2017, my views have changed, like a little bit in terms of what I look for. In ter- like my 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 top 100 wrestlers list is completely different than it was in 2017. But I didn't expect to come out and respect her as much as I have. Yes, there is bad, but fuck damn it, everybody's got bad. There's probably also an argument to be made that no one in company history has done as much with such little time and such a lack of company effort to to highlight them the best way they could. Stacey O'Loughlin was, and I hope still is, a Place to Be Nation member. And she was someone in 2017 uh, that trumpeted Trish Stratus in 2017. Stacey, I doubt you're listening, but um, I was wrong about Trish. She didn't continue to expose the business. Instead, she became a legit great worker. Her matches for me went from being bathroom breaks to being must-watch. Her character wasn't a nuisance. She was an important cog in the wheel. I was wrong. And I am so happy to have been wrong. Trish was a trailblazer in many ways, but beyond any of her many accomplishments, we have to sit in awe of her ability to improve and make herself better. Just think of all the men and women who were given opportunities and coasted. Did Tori Wilson get better? Did the great Kali? What about a guy like The Miz, right? And I say this not to shit on them, but just to contrast them with Trish. She was always going to get TV time. Look, she's smoking hot and could string words together. But that wasn't enough for her. 
She wanted to be a better wrestler and a better wrestling character, and she fucking did it. She made the whole division worth watching, and should really be held up more as a bastion of what the company attitude should be. You should always strive to be the absolute best you can. You should never rest on your laurels. That's how art is created. That's how good art becomes great art. Like I mentioned off the top, I think for sure I argued at the top that Trish was trash. And now more than anything, man, I'm thinking if she'd only given more time and space, she would have had an even more incredible career. Perhaps if I had looked a little bit closer, I would have seen the great performer that she was. After this project, I just want more Trish. I want that person who challenged herself. I want the incredible professional wrestler she became. Next time on The Wrestler That Was, we deal with someone who was absolutely... Fuck, if I say that, that gives it away. All right, we're going to the 80s and deal with a dude that if I say a certain adjective, you're going to know who he is. See you then. Yeah. <laughs>
completely out of the picture, doesn't even know what happened. Lita's in a, has been injured, and, and she's trying to wear the DDT, and, and Trish wants no part of Dita's, Lita's DDT. I'll well, tell I, don't, you I don't think Lita can even. Well, Lita got on a tick kick. The Lita's leg gave away again, the hook of the leg, and, and that's it. The tick kick, and Trish regains the title. And the new wow. WWE Women's Champion, Trish Stratus. And that twist of fate. What's Trish doing here? Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute, JR, look at this! You gotta be, wait a minute here. Wait a minute. Jump shooter! Jump shooter! The crowd's on their feet! The crowd's going crazy! The sharp shooter! Trish has got the sharp shooter!